couple of years ago, and there was just crazy stuff on there. Angels having uh, relationships with uh, other beings on earth and just craziness going on. And that's what the world is going to be like. And, and I just want to promote something here. You know, there's a Muslim culture and not all of them are bad people. There's a sect of them that are against it. But Muslims believe in Jesus as a prophet. And during the month of June, they call it Ramadan. The Muslim tradition, all of them from different sects, go out and pray that God would reveal them. You ever heard of the Muslim summer or the Arab summer? That's what it's about. They get ready at the foot of the summer and like, what are we going to do? And they pray for God to reveal himself and what they would there, God being Allah. And what we want to do, there was a couple of books left, is pray through this month that Jesus Christ would be revealed more than a prophet, but Lord and Savior. Because no matter what, no matter what happens, those poor families that lost loved ones today and the singer that died, there's people out here that are suffering. But we need to go out and combat the things that are wrong in our culture. If you want to know a little bit more about it, pray for the next 22 days about Ramadan. And it's not saying that we believe that they're bad people. We're just asking God that through Jesus Christ that he would be revealed and he would become their Lord and Savior. So we should combat the things that we struggle with and, 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 and believe that God can, can overcome that. Don't you believe that? So if you want some, there's some back at the green umbrella back there. We'd love for you to be a part of it. And just realize, I, I don't get, I, I, it sounds so insensitive. I don't get nervous or scared about days like today or the terrorist attacks that we had in San Bernardino or even 9-11. I was a little scared that day. Um, but the truth is, our world has to come to a place like the days of Noah before Jesus comes back. As Christians, we should be excited about that. We're getting closer. Now our job is to go out and speak into people's lives so that the glory of God will be revealed and everyone will know who Jesus is. And then we can go up and celebrate and worship like in heaven like we were just uh, were with Jeremy and Tara and Mackenzie and Billy. So um, that's what we're going to do. Today I want to congratulate all the parents. This was my original opening. All the parents and all the people that graduated this week. Let's, let's give the graduates a hand. Now, I don't want to overstate that because there's kindergartners graduating first to first grade. That's a big move. That's about the only one I remember, but uh, I did graduate that one. Barely, barely graduated kindergartner first. But we've got 5th to 6th, 6th to 7th, 8th to ninth, 12th to college, college to master's, master's to doctorate, and doctorate to all kinds of bills being paid, Right? But really what I want to do is talk to those that have walked through uh, the side of those people that graduated, the parents and the grandparents. Good job, guys. Give yourself a hand for going through that. I know what a pain in the butt I was graduating high school, so I can only imagine what your kids are like. So, And I wasn't, uh, my kids are good, and they're still fun to be a part of, so... Anyways, for you that are going through this, we are going through the summer, and we've had great summers at Journey. We love having fun at Journey. This summer is going to be fun. We're going to beat some Lutherans up in some smash ball this summer. We're going to go to baseball games, and there's going to be hikes and stuff. Get involved around here at Journey. We're a type of church that if you take a couple steps forward, you'll receive more than you ever imagined. But if you just sit back and wait for people to come and serve you, you're going to end up walking away going, this place isn't for me. Because we've designed this that you will take some steps forward. 
and actually do something for the glory of God. And I promise you, you will be uh, uh, involved and, and, and taken over by the, the crazy women's group. They're awesome. And, and the, if somebody was new and thought that that women's group was crazy, they're like, well, that's a really cool group. Um, and then we've got this amazing manly men's group here that if you want to get involved. Yeah, you guys are really selling it well, so uh, moving on. If you are new here, a special welcome. We're not that weak as in general. Um, but we do want to do is give you a gift in the background and in the back green canopy and tell you what we're about. But we also want you to take our mission statement. God revealed to us several years ago in a backyard that we want to be on mission. And that mission is to love the world one person at a time. Muslim, uh, other traditions, doesn't matter. We want to love people. That's who we are. Today, Christians have a bad rap because we're judgmental. And the truth is we need to open up and love everyone. And in that, the world becomes a better place. Do you believe that today? We are on this new series. This is week two of parables. Parables is something I'm really excited about. I've taught many parables in my life. I love them. Uh, A parable is an illustration or a story designed to teach. And Jesus used them quite often. And he used common day culture. So today, if you're a sports guy, common day culture would be ESPN and Fox News. That would be common common day culture that Jesus would use if he were here today. He would also use Frappuccinos and Starbucks. And if you're, you're really high class like I am, Slurpees. You got to love a good Coke Slurpee in the summer. That's the best thing that summer has to offer is a Coke Slurpee. Jesus would use common culture. Back then, he would talk about farmers and fishermen. He would talk about sheep and goat and all these things that we see so that we can understand what he was talking about. If you are not a farmer, you don't understand herding, it's okay. There's people around you that can explain it to you. But that's how Jesus spoke because he wanted to make sure everybody knew what he was talking about. And he used things that were common culture. In the parables, Jesus does the parable teaching to separate us. Sheep from goat, stubborn from open. And he's doing this not to shun people. But he's doing this to draw you into a better relationship with him so that you will take a response. Our idea of church should be that you don't come to church to be served and to be given a message on a silver platter. That's not the purpose of church. We've changed it over the last 20 or 30 years. But I'll tell you what, if you belong in the Bible Belt, they go to church at 9, they get out at 1, they go home for a little siesta... And then they come back from four to seven or eight and they spend all day in church. If we go an hour and a half and we're one of the longest services in this area, people get all weirded out. Oh my gosh, I was there over an hour and 15 minutes. I might internally combust. And what we're asking you guys is to, to, to allow God. And that's what Jesus is challenging. He's saying, when I teach in parables, I want you to make a response saying, I don't really understand what you're saying. But I want to know more, and so I'm going to open up the Word, and I'm going to get into small groups. And, and that's what Jesus wants. And, and, and during this time in Matthew 13, Jesus is teaching in parables, and he switched the way that he's taught. And his, his apostles are just going, what's going on? Why are you changing? And he says, I want the people to make a response. And that brings us to our memory verse. Matthew 13, it says, Jesus spoke these things to the crowd. 
And it was something that he was teaching. He was teaching in parables. And he says, I will speak to you in parables. And I will explain things hidden since the creation of time or from the creation of the world. And the truth is, what does that mean? Is back in eternity past, before everything was created, the Trinity, the, the triune God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, they were all together and they were making these parables and they were telling what the kingdom was going to be like. They had it all planned out. They knew at just the right time a Savior would come. They knew that there was going to be a group of people uh, at a church today and someone in here is going to accept the Lord today. And beyond that, some of us are going to turn from our old goat lifestyles and press into a new lifestyle that will be glorifying to God. And that's when he says, I will explain the things that are hidden. There's stuff inside of us that are hidden that needs to be unearthed so that we can step out of our old and into this new place. A lot of us are stuck in our Christian walk and can't move forward. And part of the reason that we're going through these parables, and I'm sure if you've been in church more than a couple years, you've heard a lot of these parables. The point is, is to open up your heart and allow God to speak so something new will come and be a part of your life. So today we're going to continue on the parable and the, and the title is called The Last Seat. Last week we talked about sheep and goat. The end of the message was don't live a goat life. A goat life is someone that's desires are focused on themselves. A sheep life was a life desired uh, by the shepherd. The heart of the shepherd is really the sheep's desire. And today we're going to talk about the last sheep. Now let, let me kind of set up what today looks like. We're going to go to Luke, Luke chapter 14. Luke was a doctor and he wrote a lot and he was very detailed. And in this place where, he's te- uh, where he, shocks, he talks about Jesus teaching a parable, um, it's a Sabbath Sunday, which means that you can't do any real work. And Jesus is invited to a prominent Pharisee. So it's like one of you getting invited to one of the council members of the church house and they're going to serve you a dinner and there's a big party. And you're going into this dinner. Jesus is into this dinner, this prominent Pharisee. And they invited him because they wanted to see how he was going to react on a Sabbath. And so they were closely watching Jesus. And as Jesus comes into this place, into this great banquet, he sees this man suffering and he's bloated and his stomach's hurting and he's in great pain. They call it endemia. And Jesus sees this man suffering and he asks the question to everybody at the party. He's like, is it unlawful to heal on a Sabbath Sunday or on a Sabbath day, which is Friday night to Saturday? And nobody responds. They see this man suffering. So Jesus walks up to the man and he goes up and heals him in the name of Jesus Christ. And then it says that the man leaves, right? And then Jesus asks the question because these guys are now... Huffing and puffing, you can't work and heal and do stuff on the Sabbath. Why would you do such a thing? And Jesus says, if one of you has a child or an ox and falls into a well on the Sabbath, will you not immediately pull them out? And then they're silent. Just like all of you. If one of our kids fell off the stage or did whatever and we were all busy, we would rush. Because that's what we're supposed to do. And Jesus is speaking into their life. And that's where our parable starts today. In Luke chapter 7, that was chapter uh, verse 6, Luke chapter 14, verse 6. So if you're able to stand, stand. We're going to read from this parable and we're going to ask God to do a work in us, to uncover something in us and speak to us in a very real and powerful way. Luke 14, 7 says, when he noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor for a person more distinguished than you might have been invited. If so, the host, in, 
the host who invited both of you will come and say, give this person your seat. Then, humiliated, you will take a, take a less important place. Verse 10. But you, when you are invited, take a lower place or a lower seat so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of all the guests. For all who are exalt, who exalt themselves will be humbled and all who humble themselves will be exalted. Now, this is probably the most important time of the message. We need to all be filled with the Spirit. So as I pray, you ask God, uncover something or speak to me again. Reactivate something that maybe you spoke to me many years ago in a sermon like today. But speak to us all. So you pray and I pray and let's watch God move in our hearts. Father, we come to you in the name above all names, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. And we ask as there's hundreds of people here that you will speak to us individually, to our own DNA so that we can be changed radically from the inside out. I pray that you will humble us, that you will do exalting where exalting needs to be, that you will be our provision, our hope, and our life, that you will speak to all of us together and individually. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Go ahead and be seated. So today's message is called the lowest seat. And hopefully by the end, you'll have an understanding of what that means and how that works. And there's some application in your life. In verse 7, we see Luke writing about Jesus and how he calls out this as a parable. He specifically calls it a parable. It says, when he noticed the guests picking their place. So everybody comes into the place and, and you've seen it before. You go to a place and it's general admission and people run to the front row and start putting everything down, right? And saving their spot and saving and pushing the chair over and putting their jacket over. And nobody ever leaves their wallet or credit cards because I checked. But they do leave a spot and you see that. And that's what Jesus see, sees here. And Luke says that he starts teaching a parable. Now, when Jesus says he's teaching a parable, it's an indicator that there's something greater that we need to understand. When we think of a parable, he's like, I'm going to tell you something, but there's a deeper meaning. Jesus is going to politely talk about good manners and being polite at a wedding feast because people are probably pushing and shoving to get to the front row or to get to the honored seats. And Jesus is kind of going, eh, don't do that. But really what he's telling us is there's a deeper message here. There's something more, a deeper spiritual message that he wants to teach us. Jesus is communicating to the, the Pharisee and the people around him, and he's giving them some wisdom. He's telling the guests, the people that invite him in, and then the guests, that there's, a deeper, uh, there's some deeper wisdom. And it's really a, a deeper wisdom about the kingdom of God. He's not just stuck on what the world is like. And so he's giving this deeper wisdom. And here's the analogy. As in life, as well as the kingdom of God, self-promotion leads to shame. That's really the core message. That, that's what I want you to walk out of here with. The main theme is self-promotion will lead you to shame. Now, I'm going to tell a story. I, I did it in first service, and I'll tell you one of my first shameful events in my life. Now, if you're new here I hate to say this, but I've been in front of the judge more times than you want to imagine. And that's kind of funny, but not really, because it's true. I've been in front of a judge many times. And when I was 19, it kind of ages myself, but in the 90s, there was a law that came out on January 1st of, I don't know, 91 or 90, where it says, if you don't have car insurance, your, sus your license is suspended. Anybody remember that? Well, I didn't know that. I was into myself, and so anyways... 
One day, uh, about June, uh, January 15th, I'm on my way to work, and I had this Camaro, and the tires were really bad. They were this bald. And I happened to come out of a, a, a little corner, and there was a little water, and I was pretty cool back in the day. So I thought I'd light it up a little bit around the corner and going into a, a main street in Anaheim. And so I lit it up and did a little fishtail. Woo, woo, and I'm like, dude, that was so cool. And I did it right in front of a police officer. He didn't think it was as cool as I did. And when he ran my, when we ran my, um, my thing, he says, uh, Jeff, your license is suspended. I'm like, what? And he's like, there's a new law January. And he goes, since you don't have a license, it's suspended. Can I search your car? And I said, sure, go ahead. I don't really have a choice anyways. So he went in and searched my car. And I, I'm 19. I'm pretty much a teenager. I have no idea what I'm doing. And my mail is sitting there from the last three or four days. And it's sitting there. And he comes up and he's like, Jeff, here's a letter from the DMV. And so I open it up and it says license has been suspended. Anyways, long story short, he goes, if you take this letter, I'll write in my notes. You'll probably get this written off and it won't be a big deal because it was the first six months of this law. So I was going to college at the time. And um, finally, when I get to court, I'm about uh, three weeks into a pre-law class, right? So I tell the judge, oh, I'm going to get some lawyer help on this. And he goes, okay, continue it for 30 days. Come back in 30 days with some legal help. So I come back. Of course, I didn't get anybody, but I'm now six or eight classes into this pre-law thing. And I'm thinking, I could probably do this. So I tell the judge, I said, uh, he, he goes, did you get any legal help? And I said, well, I'm going to represent myself. And he says, guilty. And he put me in jail that night. And I'm like, but I didn't even get to do my stuff. And he's like, you're guilty. And, and, and he said it was an overnight. I ended up staying in five days. And I thought I got lost in the system. The point of the story is this. When you try and promote yourself and your own knowledge, especially at 19, it's going to lead to shame and humiliation. I was humiliated. And I was scared. You know, I was only supposed to spend one night. I spent five days in there. And needless to say, later down the road, I spent a lot more time than that. But that was a scary thing. And that's what Jesus is trying to speak against. He's saying we get into a place of pride and, 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 and arrogance and selfishness. And he says the core of this message is that if you do self-promotion, it leads to shame. So let's explore this parable a little bit deeper and see what God has. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, Jesus writes in this parable, he says, don't take a place of honor for a person more distinguished than you might have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say, give this person your seat, then humiliated like me before the judge, you will have to take a lower seat. In life, our job is to not self-promote. When we do, it has the potential to be disastrous. And that's what Jesus is saying. We all know someone in this play or someone in our life that has that mindset of, I always want to be the biggest and the baddest, the most technical, the newest cars, the coolest cars, the best house on the block. We all know that. And maybe some of us are in this room. I know I used to live that way. We have those neighbors that want to one-up, those that have better wives and better kids. We want to trade ours in. Not me, of course. My kids and my wife are great. My daughter's giving me that funky look over there. The point is this. When we have these people in our life, and I used to be this way, they're kind of annoying to hang out with. They're unpleasant. You can hang out with them for a little while, and when they get you a good seat at maybe a ball game or a play or something, you're like, that's fun. But after that, you're like, oh, man, I can't handle them. They're so into self. 
and self-promotion. They're unpleasant to hang out with. And this parable that Jesus teaches us talks to, tell, talks to us about selfishness and how to work, walk away from this selfish way and into a selfless, more humble approach to life. And that's what this parable is really about. Solomon imparts or gives us more of this in, in his proverb 25, uh, 6 through 7. And it says, don't exalt yourself in the presence, in the king's presence. Do not claim a place among great men. It is better for you to, for him to say to you, come up here, than for him to humiliate you before the nobles. Here's another court story. This, I promise, will be a little smaller. But um, I, I, like I said, I've been in court. And there was I was going to court for my daughter, trying to have visiting rights with my daughter. And eight or nine times in a row, I lost. And I lost terrible. And I was at church, and I was talking to someone at the church, and I was praying. I just want to have a better relationship with my daughter, and I want to have better visiting rights. And, and, and one of the people that was praying with me says, Jeff, when you go to court, just shut up. And I looked at him, and I scratched my head, and I'm like, what did you say? And he says, shut up. The judge doesn't want to hear you. They just want you to answer the question in exactly the what they want to hear. So my mom was with me. We go to court. And um, I remember this day because I said three yeses and one no, and I won the case. Though I had 20 minutes of conversation like I do here to tell my side, and they didn't want to hear it. But I remember driving home and, and, and just thanking God, going, if I just learn to shut up, I can be victorious. And over that next few months and few years that I went back to court, I probably did it about 50% of the time. And more times, the more times I did, the better that the, the uh, example was. And that's what Solomon's saying here. If you're in the presence of a king or your boss or the judge, don't try and self-promote yourself. If you're in the place of, 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 of a conflict at home with your spouse or your kids or at work or at school... Don't try and self-promote yourself and tell him where your position is. Just take a lower seat. It's better for him to exalt you or them to exalt you than to you to try and tell you how great a person or where you should be. Jesus tells us this, that true humiliation, uh, uh, true humility leads us to exaltation and away from this word humiliation. A lot of times we take humility and humiliation and we put them together and they're polar opposites. Humiliation is because of our arrogant pride. Humility brings us exaltation. That's what Jesus is trying to communicate. We see that more in Proverbs sixteen fifteen. It says, the Lord detests the proud. What does detest mean? He hates. So if you're a proud person, you're on the opposite side of where the Lord wants you. And I can say that from up here, not because I'm a righteous person, because I'm a proud man that for the last 14 years has worked hard to make sure that I'm learning a selfless way of life. Every morning praying, Lord, take the selfish man out and, and, and incorporate the selfless man that I can be. And sometimes I do and sometimes I don't. And uh, we all have room to grow. It says, and it says, the Lord detests the proud and surely they will be punished. The Lord doesn't like proud people. He doesn't like the he doesn't like it, and that one of the ways that he's communicating that is to the Pharisees and how they want to be up close and up front and they want the prime seats. And that's where we need to be. You know, in church, th this is the prime seat right here, and there's nobody up here. You guys are so humble. 
Give yourself a hand for the humbleness that you are. Besides this family up here, you guys have let all the people in the back, right? Jeremy always says, he's sitting in the back row, I'm going to be the last. The first are way better than me, right? There's a rule in your Bible. If you have a Bible, there should be something in Philippians 2-3 that should be underlined. It should be highlighted. You should make a note and it should, should be a rule. And here's what it says. And if it doesn't, then you should write it down. And here's what the rule says. It's a principle that we should live by. Paul writes in this rule, he says this. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or empty pride, but in humility, consider yourself, consider others more important than yourself. In essence, don't do things out of selfish ways, but take a lower seat and look up at everybody else in the world. That's the way that Jesus wants you to be. That doesn't mean that you get walked on and stepped on and that you can't call uh, the police when things are uh, happening. You can't call people out. It just means that you need to take a lower seat and sit back and watch God work. That's something that's really important. And Jesus wants us so that we can be exalted the way that he wants to exalt you in your own life. Now, yesterday, uh, here's a little test. I'm going to give you a test, and this happened to me yesterday. Um, I, I went to breakfast with my family, and uh, um, after breakfast, I went to the restroom, and, and uh, I, I was getting ready to wash my hands, and there was this man. I'm just going to tell you how old he was. He was about 60 years old, and I'm just waiting to wash my hands, and he's sitting in, uh, in the mirror, and he's finished washing his hands. His hands are dry, and he starts doing this. And I'm just sitting there behind him. And this man is just looking at the mirror and he's doing this and checking out the side and checking his nose hairs. And I'm like, what is this guy doing? We're in IHOP. What can he get outside of IHOP? It was just that. And the point that I'm trying to tell you is this. Here's the, here's the test. The amount of time you spend in the mirror might be an indicator of your vanity and pride. Now... Growing up as a high school and, and college student, I spent many time, many a time in the mirror. You don't get a physique like this and don't want to stare about it all the time, right? Yeah, I know. <laughs> Thanks, Eric. But today's society, we are staring at ourselves more than we ever have. And my social media, if I see one more of your faces on my social feed... We are taking selfies and we're spending time. We do need to brush our teeth and shave and put makeup and whatever we do. But the extra time really says that you might be a vain and pride person, a, 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 a person of, of pride. And the reason why I know that is that's what I did. I'd sit and look and comb the eyebrows and check the eyelashes. That's what we do. And you need to step away from that because that's going to lead us to shame and destruction. And the truth is God wants to exalt you in a different way, in a way that will be more glorifying to him and less to yourself. So think about how much time you're spending at the mirror. And this week, laugh at yourself if you continue to do that. I have a couple of friends. One of them, I won't say his name, Jeff Barnett, Odell. Every time he comes over to our house, he's looking in the mirror. And I'm like, what are you looking at, dude? He spends a lot of time looking in the mirror. What's the application here? The application is this. We can fend off pride by keeping a proper perspective, a proper place, and a proper purpose in God's kingdom. We can fend it off by keeping a proper perspective, place, and purpose in the kingdom of God. What does that mean? The proper place and perspective should be 
that we serve and glorify God. We serve and glorify man for God. That's the proper place. Taking a lower seat in our life and looking up at everybody else in this room saying, you're all better than me. And the truth is, you guys know that. Because that's how it should be. And the way that you should look is everybody in this place is better than me as well. And then we have the way we have the way that Christ wants us to be open and humble and able to do God's will for all mankind to be glorified through Jesus Christ. Hope that makes sense. Here's what verse 10 says. But when you are invited, take the lower place or the lower seat so that when the host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place and then you will be honored in the presence of the guests. For those that exalt themselves will be humbled, and those that humble themselves will be exalted. I'm going to invite Jeremy and the band back up. And I want to ask you a question. That last verse is cross-referenced maybe 25 times. Several times in the Gospels, a couple of times in Paul's writings, and it's written in Psalm and in the Old Testament. When it's written all throughout the Bible and it says almost the same exact thing, what does that mean as a, as a church? It means that you should understand that that's a principle that's important. If it's written in the Old Testament or New Testament by different authors, they know that that's something that God wants to promote to the church in many different ways. And it's said constantly. And at the last verse, it says, For those that exalt themselves will be humbled. Those that self-promote themselves, those that try and push their agenda out, they will be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. Those that are willing to say, I will do anything for you, Lord. If you want me to clean the urinals, if you want me to sweep the floor, if you want me to tear down today, if you want me to walk, you know, to Ventura tomorrow for the glory of God. Those are the people that God will exalt. You see it happen over and over where people say, I was a simple man or woman and and, and in God's will and humbly serving him, he raised me up and put me in in a place of honor and glory. He wants to do that and does that all the time. We need to learn the significance of humility. And that's what I want to close with today. The significance of humility. What is that in your life? What is the significance of humility? We need to see the value of self-denial Or a selfless way of life versus a self-destructive life. A life of destruction and self-gratification. We are in a society where we're taking selfies and we get instant slurpees and we've got energy. You can get a drink for three bucks and, you know, you'll be spinning off the walls uh, uh, um, going crazy. My daughter and me were driving and I drank a Red Bull the other day and I was just going nuts. And she's filming me, right? And... uh, you know, today, that's what our society is. If you're, if you're low on energy, drink a bunch of caffeine, drink Red Bull, and you'll get something. And the truth is, we need to take a lower seat. Maybe you just need to rest so that you can charge back up. Does that make sense? What are the benefits and rewards of humility? Here's, here's a list of benefits and rewards that I put up there. And these are all throughout the Bible. There's some scripture references there that you can look up. I'm just going to kind of paraphrase them. But here's some of the benefits. James says, the humble receive God's grace and are lifted up or exalted. That's one of the verses that cross-reference verse 11. It says, the humble receive God's grace and are exalted. Number two, you see David write in in one of his psalms, it says, the humble are recipients of God's guidance and leadership. When you are humble, 
you are able to be taught. Are you teachable? If you're able to be taught, you can then become a good leader in your family, at church, at work, at school, if you're able to be taught. But if you're, if you're not being able to be taught, you need to take a lower seat and take some instruction from maybe someone who's a couple steps ahead of you. Solomon attributes wisdom to the humble, Proverbs eleven two. He says, if you are humble, you have received great wisdom. If you're struggling in a place in your life and you need some wisdom, are you humble? Or are you trying to self-promote to make sure your will and your way is being seen? In addition to that, Solomon writes, Humility coupled with the fear of God results in wealth, honor, and life. Now, when we think of wealth, we think of lifestyles of the rich and famous. At least that's what I do. But that's not the wealth. He's not talking about a 27-car garage with boats and, and cars in there. He's talking about at the end of your life that you will have honor and a life worthy to be glorified, but be glorified by God. Saying, I've done a good job. I've come to the end of the line. I've served at church. I've given and I've, and I've put my life uh, at the foot of the cross many days of my life. And God has been glorified. That's what wealth is. Many cultures outside of the United States, wealth is a healthy family with lots of kids. That's what wealth is. Honor is when someone comes up and says, man, I want to be just like you. I want to live a life just like you. There's something about you that I want to live like. That's honor. When people outside of, the, outside of your realm can see you. That's what God wants. And ultimately, he wants to have a good life. The Apostle Paul writes this in Colossians chapter 3. He says, clothe yourself with all these virtues. And one of the virtues is humility. Put on these things every day. Tender mercy, gentleness, kindness, and humility. Put on these things so that you can live a life of a lower seat, looking up at everybody else saying, I'm just going to be my part and do my role. And somehow, someway, through the glory of God, I will get exalted. Humility allows us to be content with lower things, thereby warranting us the opportunity for higher things. Let me say that again. Humility allows us to be content with lower things, thereby warranting us an opportunity for higher things. If you're ready to move out of this place in your life, humble up. If you're struggling in a marriage or in a relationship conflict or with parents or grandparents or wherever, humble up. And be responsible with the small things and God will give you larger things once you're responsible with the small things. That's what humility is and that's what the core of this message is. If you had to do a word study or, or break down this parable, the subject line would be God and his kingdom. That's really what this message is. That Jesus is saying, this parable and many of the parables that I speak are about God and his kingdom. He's the subject line. And God is the host of the great kingdom banquet in the sky. And he's the one that's setting the seating chart. And doing a great work on that seating chart. You know how, many, how much hours people put in their wedding for the seating chart? Man, that'll bring you to divorce right there. Just trying to set the seating chart. A couple of weeks ago, me and Liz were at a wedding and the seating chart was fantastic. They put us up with a bunch of really nice people, a couple of nurses, and we had a great time. But the Lord 
is really in charge of the ultimate seating chart. Some of us in this room, when we get up there, he's going to push us away from that because we're not really living that life. And many of you are going to be exalted forward because you're living that life. The question is, as I talked about last week, are you going to be a goat or are you going to be a sheep? The sheep are going to be pushed up forward because the Lord is going to want to exalt you. And the goats are going to be pushed back. I've lived too many years to live a goat life anymore. I want to turn away from that. And I'm sure many of you do. Mark 9, 30, uh, 35 says this. And as the apostles and, and the disciples are struggling, who is going to be next to Jesus? Who's going to be the one sitting? And they thought he was just going to be this worldly king. Who's going to be up there on the, uh, sitting next to him on the throne? And Jesus says, if you want to be up there with me, he says, anyone who wants to be the first must be the very last and the servant of all. If you want to be right with God and you want to be promoted and you want to do good work, take a lower seat, Jesus says. And you will be exalted on his time and in his way. The problem with when he, the problem is with the way Jesus works, when he exalts, a lot of times he strips away things that we don't need in our life. And it seems like we're falling apart, but truthfully, we're getting built back up. Humility allows us to be content with lower things giving us opportunity for higher things. Put that lower seat in your life. A lower seat mentality brings us grace and wisdom and ultimately honor. When you're humble and you open up your heart, it allows the gospel to start working. Today, if you're opened and you said a prayer, the gospel should start working in your soul right now. You should hear some of this and go, that's what I needed. Or there's where I need to be. And when you're humble, Jesus becomes so alive in you and the things around you. Don't you want that? Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, make your life come so alive because we commit that we are going to be humble for you. We are all taking a lower seat right now so that you can be glorified. Let us worship you, Lord, because you are worthy to be praised. Lord, if there's someone here that needs a new life for Jesus... Each and every week, we want to give an opportunity for people to cross the line for the glory of Jesus Christ. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, today's a day to accept him and submit your life and put his life uh, above yours. If that's you, repeat after me. Father, forgive me. Come into my heart. Come into my soul and be my king. I accept that you died and you rose again. For me, I'm going to take a lower seat and I want to watch you exalt me, Lord. Holy Spirit, come over me so that I may be in your will each and every day. We celebrate you and love you, Lord. We worship you in Jesus' name. Amen.